Hey there, this is Kerry, Andrew, and Chris, and this is the All Over the Place podcast. Today's wit, whiskey, and wisdom is brought to you by the Upset Picks. If you're looking to make sports betting a bigger part of your portfolio, visit our website, theupsetpicks.com. We have packages to suit every type of better, from beginner to pro. Make sure you check out our daily Chasing the Dog videos on YouTube, where we give our top dogs of the day. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up and hit subscribe. Now, grab a drink, sit back, and listen to us go all over the place, from sports to politics to culture to who knows where. Andrew, Carrie, and Chris. All over the place. Wit, whiskey, and wisdom. I really can't explain it any better. Sorry. <laughs> if you can't get it after 20 minutes, oh, just yeah. quote the Bible. You're like, can you just explain say that? It's a like, I just, just did it. Just quoted the Bible. Hey, by the way, we're recording. So we're recording. Anybody surprised about that? No. No, no not really. at this point. You're not. We're not saying any curse words or things we're not supposed to say. So actually, I am a little surprised. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is what? Come on, get close the to the 20th mic, episode. It is the 20th. If only the mics were on arms that you could move or maneuver yeah, close thanks to your a lot. face. Okay, thanks. That technology is beyond us. Does that work? Light we haven't away. we haven't moved up to that level. Oh, of Elon Musk will bring it to us. Let's push His daughter t- said today that he, she no longer wants to be related to Elon Musk. I was like, you realize when he dies, you're going to be worth like forty billion dollars. You might want to calm that down. Rethink your position. <laughs> hmm. So, so what was what? her reasoning? Do we know? Yeah, her dad's crazy. How old is she? Younger though, I mean, yeah, younger. It's not like a forty-something-year-old. Well, well, usually, the usually the child is younger than the. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Okay. Wow, just throw it out there. Wow, well, unless there's an adoption, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, weird. Um, so we are, we're excited. I'm excited about tonight's show. This is a show that's been two and a half months or more in the making. Yep. Yeah, you were late. I was. It was not late. Six late. Oh, okay, I was late. Late. I'm not lie, I was late. I'm not gonna lie. I was late. Um, he had to get his hero did. <laughs> And sadly, I can't use it on you. Kerry <laughs> um, gets his beard done. That's he does look. He's the sexiest man in the room. Okay, you want to finish your sentence now? <laughs> no. Two months in the making. Come on. Two months in the making. Father uh, <laughs> Dem Lachko, uh, local superstar for the uh, parish or for the diocese of Richmond, ordained in 2019. I got notes here because I was looking up on him. But uh, Father Dem. That's not creepy, is it? That is uh, creepy. I've been stalking him for been cyber stuff for you, days. You got to Google yourself every once in a while to make sure there's nothing crazy exactly. out there. You know what I mean? So, so no problem. Father Dan. Father Dan. He's a CrossFit level one trainer, so he's automatically a great hero of mine. For what? That. He's a paramedic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's the chaplain for the Hampton Fire Department. I guess until today. I mean, I literally just turned in my stuff today. Did you really? So yeah. You, oh, you do the same when you get up to your new assignment? I have no idea. I only am able to do it now at the uh, allowance of my oh. current pastor, okay, so I have gotcha. no idea what the time requirements will be up at my new assignment Man. yet, if he'll let me do it. No this idea yet. Great. Yeah. Um, he's got his own podcast called Fatherly Advice. Yes? That's a strong and uh, description. It's okay. really all I do is record my homilies and just post them and... I mean, like, there are, I guess, technically four or five quote-unquote podcast episodes of me and my buddy Rocky just talking like idiots, so <laughs> nothing of real substance. So this just, should feel yeah. absolutely at home. You've joined yeah, idiots. There hasn't been one of those in okay. many, many right. moons. Uh, he's been featured on websites and podcasts such as Yes Catholic, uh, Sophia Labana, and The Struggling Catholic. 
So you can look up all his stuff about his story. And this is, I found, he wrote a foreword to uh, Why Bother Does Believing Make a Difference, which is part of the uh, Get Faith Project, which is a tool for young adult catechesis evangelization, evangelization and discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all that for being 19, which is great. <laughs> 19, that's impressive. I was going to go with 19 and a half, but 19 and a half, yeah. 19 works. That is the most common question I get, and we'll probably answer about 4,000 times at my new assignment. (laughs) Are you old enough to be a priest? Is there an age requirement for that? There is, actually. Oh. Canon law requires you to be at least 26. Oh, hey. Oh, really? Right. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yep. Look at that. We learned mm. something new. All right, we're done, guys. Yeah. Yep. 26. I'm going to write that down. Yep. 26. I hadn't, I, that's, that's interesting. Why are you going to go back in time? and no <laughs> impediments. Yep. All right. Well, great. Um, father's drinking bubbly, and we, which one, which one are we going to do? Which one pick, did we drink last pick week? Pick one. We didn't drink any of these last week. Then why are they open? Well, I'm not allowed, to, I'm not allowed to drink my own bourbon no. whiskey? No. Okay. The rule is you have to start it here, then no, you can drink it home. No, 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 no. Go to the one with the horse on I choose Anita's choice. Six grain. So not the one with the horse Six on. grain whiskey. Not the one with the horse on. <laughs> okay. Was that, did you get that out before I said? Yeah, no. Governor? Like, literally, I was like, let's go with the horse. I'm going to ignore, that. ignore that. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. We'll cut that. Hey, Chris, cut that. <laughs> I cut literally nothing. I, I, don't, I don't do any kind of editing. That's Anita's choice, six grain bourbon whiskey. Yeah, baby. You just took the illusion out that there was like better content out there that we just decided to no, leave the bad stuff in. It's all raw. It's all raw. It's all raw. Yeah, it's, I don't have the time. Okay, so as go. we're sitting here and you know doing our thing, yeah. Father, you want to tell us about yourself? Sure. How deep do you want me to go? Uh, <laughs> thirty second so, version, thirty minute version, uh, thirty minute version. I, my understanding, which is not yeah. very deep, is that you have a very fascinating story. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> To me, it's very mundane. It's because I mean, it happened to you, right? Right, and at this point, a lot of it's in the past. But I mean, that's true. That's true. So you you share what you want to share. Okay. No, I mean, uh, so uh, yeah, grew up in Virginia Beach. I oh. was uh, baptized Russian Orthodox. My father is Russian Orthodox. My mom is Catholic, and we grew up going to both churches. We would. I mean, as a family, go one weekend to the Orthodox Church and one weekend to the Catholic Church and back and forth, back and forth. Um, I was an altar server in the Orthodox Church. I loved it. They had so many different color cassocks and uh, stoles that you could wrap intricately, and I was super a big fan of the smells and bells of everything. Um, And I don't believe I was ever actually an altar boy in the Catholic Church until I was like, senior in high school, something like that, and I was just serving daily mass at uh, St. Gregory's in Virginia Beach. I would hit up daily mass before school and go home, eat breakfast, watch Saved by the Bell, and (laughs) (laughs) and go to school. Sounds kind of normal. Yeah. um, And it was, I mean, it was back then that even I was thinking about the priesthood, and I I had a really good youth minister, um, and he just really made the idea of vocation sound interesting, worthwhile. And then just in the content of the youth group, I developed, um, you know, a pretty good prayer life as a high school student to be open to the possibility of a vocation. Um, so yeah, it was really open to the priesthood idea and really discouraged that there wasn't a college seminary option at that time in this diocese. But what I was told when I uh, contacted the vocations office was, you know, go get a four-year degree and then come back to us and we'll, we'll talk. Huh. Um, and so I 
I applied to one college based on, uh, I guess, Ignatian spirituality discernment, <laughs> whereas I, I would visit every in-state college in Virginia, ODU, VMI, VCU, Virginia Tech, uh, you know, JMU, all of them just had friends that were either there a year or two ahead of me or um, would just go on college visits and whatnot. And, and then I would go in prayer and, and think about the choices that I had seen and spent time and done overnights with. And um, it just, it, it felt like in prayer that I was just getting images of like dark storm clouds, you know, rain, whatever. And then my... Uh, youth minister I was over at his house one time for dinner and uh his wife was just in the kitchen getting stuff finalized and I said you know Kelly tell me why I should go to Steubenville like why why should that be my choice wow and uh don't honestly remember what she said but she sold me on it and I was like yeah that that sounds like what I really want so I think the, the draw was just it was a small school and it was very Catholic by reputation. So those were the two requirements. Because I, I was in a private school from K to 12. Um, so, you know, I was used to small class sizes, personal attention, wanted to keep that going. Um, yeah, so I, I would take this to prayer, never stepped foot on Steubenville's campus. But when I would pray about it, it just seemed happy and sunshine and like the clouds that I was feeling over other choices were gone. Um, and so... <laughs> That was the only school I ever applied to. I got in the day before Thanksgiving my senior year, and I just really stopped trying at that point. So, What, what year was that? By... Oh, I graduated high school in 2004. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so um, went off to Steubenville with the idea that I was going to major in theology and then you know mm -hmm. go straight into seminary, and then I believe it only took about one semester before... I realized how many beautiful holy women there were, and I was convinced that one of them should just be my wife and that God should change his mind. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Well, clearly they call me father now, and it's not the children, so not my own. Yeah, joke's on me. But uh, no, I was the one that was trying to convince God of the change, and so I don't know. I struggled with the idea of vocation, of wanting my own will versus what I felt God might be calling me to for four years. And then um, it was through the help of alcohol that I uh, squarely left the Catholic Church, basically, after I graduated from Steubenville, which is ex exactly what you would expect from a Steuby grad, right? To yeah, not, be, not yeah, at all. Not Catholic mm -hmm. five months after graduation. And it was, I mean... For the longest time, I had held out and been a good kid and, and not actually drank until, you know, the legal age. And then, boy, did I make up for lost time, <laughs> you know, and uh, pretty sure I left school, if not the beginnings of an alcoholic, you know, already into minor alcoholism. But um, just really wanted to keep that lifestyle going and, and you know, lived with a, a really good friend of mine near town center in Virginia Beach and was just going out partying a whole lot. Um, I realized my junior into senior year, uh, over the summertime rather, that I, I didn't want to do anything to do with my major that I was getting from Steubenville, which by that point I had changed to early education. And so... It was actually through the uh, suggestion of the girl I was dating during my junior year that uh, I look into, you know, firefighting medical world because uh, many of her family members were firefighters or police officers out in the western part of the country. 
And she had sold me on this idea of, of being a fire jumper, you know, the guys that jump yeah. out of the, par- yeah, or yeah. the planes yeah, and fight the wildfires. Man, did that sound cool to me. And so she was like, well, the best way to get picked up by any fire service is go get your med quals, become a paramedic, and then you can pretty much walk into anywhere. Um, and so, you know, the first step of that is to start at the bottom, start at your EMT basic. And so I went to TCC, took my EMTB course and accelerated. I think it was like three or five week program. I don't even remember what it was, but it was, you know, really intense for a short amount of time. And then you tested and you were an EMTB and you could start running rescue in the city. And, uh, we had one clinical shift for that accelerated class and mine, because I had, my father was military and I was still under, you know, his benefits, still in my medical ID card or my uh, military ID card rather. So I could get onto Portsmouth Naval. And so they assigned me there for my clinicals. I was in the ER for a 12 hour day shift. And we, I mean, it's really slim odds of this happening, but we got a cardiac arrest that came in from the shipyard and they kicked a uh, stool up to the table right next to where they wheeled in the patient. And they said, all right, student, jump up, start pumping on his chest, do compressions. And like in that moment of just pushing down on a real person's chest, I mean, this is not a mannequin anymore. I fell in love, man. And I knew that I wanted to be a, just a paramedic for the rest of my days. This priesthood idea was out the door. This anything else, medical, I mean, fire school, pfft. Anyone can put water on hot stuff. No, I want to know how the body works, and I want to just go all the way. So I really abandoned any idea of wanting to do fire anything. Um, but broke up with that girl, <laughs> graduated, continued on in the medical world. And I graduated from Steubenville with my bachelor's in, in science in elementary ed and immediately re-enrolled in TCC's paramedic program and just went semester after semester for two years um, and got my paramedic certificate. So this whole time I'm working at various jobs around Hampton Roads. You know, I come in with one cert and as soon as I would progress in class, I would gain another certification, which would allow me to go change jobs, which would give me more money. And then I get another cert and so on and so forth. And eventually this, uh, you know, I became a paramedic and was doing some domestic contracting here. Oh, golly, no, I've, I've missed a whole lot. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so used to giving the truncated version. I just yeah, yeah. kind of speed it up in my head. Um, so when I got to paramedic school, there was a, a very beautiful woman there who uh, I just fell in love with immediately. I mean, she was everything I was hoping for. She was dumb enough to give me the time of day and cute enough to, oh golly, she was beautiful with tattoos aplenty. And, you know, I was, I was just smitten all over the place with her. And she was in the semester ahead of me and her best friends were my best friends from the rescue squad. And so, I mean, you know, we had mutual friends. We were always hanging around each other and I just completely fell in love with this girl. Could not have been worse for each other. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, she was wonderful in her own respect, and I had certainly my own amount of issues, but, um, you know, just not really healthy people trying to be codependent and whatnot. But every time we would, you know, have an issue and break up, give it a couple months and we were back together and then we got engaged at one point because things were going really well and then we broke up again and then all right fast forward to I've given up on this I'm dating someone else and 
she calls me out of the blue after us not talking for a while. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. What are you doing? Why are you calling me? Go away. And she's like, oh, nothing. Just got out of a doctor's appointment. Six months to live. No big deal. Hey, do you want to go for a drink right now? Whoa. Yeah. So, you know, on a Tuesday. Yeah. (laughs) So it just randomly like knocks you in the face for that. Right. And so I made the stupid mistake of saying yes. (laughs) So uh, went and much alcohol flowed. Bad choices were made and uh, woke up the next morning realizing I had cheated on the girl I was dating and it was terrible. and, And, you know, what have I done? So fast forward. Um. She was given a diagnosis that was a severe, severe form of breast cancer and um, very aggressive treatment was needed. And then very quickly we realized from that uh, night of indiscretion, she was now pregnant and the doctors were very against her continuing to be pregnant because the uh, spike in estrogen and whatnot would like throw gasoline on the cancer fire, right? And so... um, the way I, you know, experienced it was she was considering having an abortion. I was dead set against it. How do you tell someone that doesn't share your views? Don't do that. Uh, you know, very conflicted as a young man. Didn't really have my faith to fall back on because I said, you know, I, I abandoned the church sometime before that. And um, along with it, most of my friends after that night of indiscretion because they were friends with the girl that, you know, I had cheated on. So. Yeah. Uh, wow, you know, I found myself in a world of hurt and uh, very just deep, dark place because, you know, all of a sudden this girl who I loved and we had gotten married, uh, by the way, after we found out she was pregnant um, for a myriad of reasons, but um, mostly because she had a child and, and she wanted to make sure he would be looked after, you know, if she should pass away indeed. So, um we got married by a justice of a peace, you know, like two days after we thought of the idea. Not a great idea. Um, <laughs> so let's see. And then 21 days after that, you know, the drama of the doctors telling her don't be pregnant anymore unfolds. And she decides to leave me 21 days into the marriage. Um, and just, you know, my, my world went into a downward spiral tailspin. Um, alcohol just trying to mask all of this terrible feelings inside not knowing what was happening you know my wife slash ex-wife may or may not have gotten an abortion may or may not be dying what do I even do who do I turn to what do I do so ironically I reached out to that same youth minister who years before I sat at his kitchen table and discerned where to go to college Um, and he was I mean one of the only people that I could really turn to at that point and he you know, gave me a lot of tough love, but he welcomed me back and he was like, all right, man, we got to get you to confession. We got to get you right. We got to, you know, we got to start over and first we got to let the dust settle. So, all right, fast forward. So we, you know, went through a civil divorce. Um, it was actually a blessing because we never got it, uh, convalidated in the church. Thank the Lord. Um, but this whole saga, trauma, whatever, uh, period of my life sent me searching for, something, something that would make me feel again, you know. Um, I wasn't actively suicidal, but I was not certainly against the idea of just no longer being alive. Um, And so I imagined that I 
should just throw myself at the most dangerous jobs I could find. Oil rigs, contract medding, combat medic situations, anything where there was high pay and high risk. I was there and I was for it. Um, but with just national paramedic credentials and no military experience, actual, you know, it's, it's hard to get picked up to do these kind of jobs when you have no qualifications other than your basic medic. So um, I found a common, I'm sorry, a, a uh, domestic contracting job here at Langley Air Force Base, and it was a wonderful hybrid position where you were a paramedic contractor who worked in the emergency room, so when you weren't on active 911 calls on the base, you would help as an ER tech, you know, among the corpsmen and whatnot that were there. And it was a wonderful, wonderful job. I loved it. Um, and through it, I met a gentleman who had just come back from a foreign contracting job in Kuwait. And I was like, man, that would be my, you know, I'd love to do that. And he goes, oh, well, they are hiring, so you're in luck. And um, yeah, I think I applied somewhere around December. And by February, I was, you know, selling everything I had or just throwing it in a storage unit. And I was out the door. Wow. So, yeah, wow. I broke up with the girl I was dating. I, if it didn't appeal to me to keep for longer than maybe a decade, I was like, nah, out the door, because I didn't know if I was coming back. I didn't really care, you know. I figure I'd either make enough money to buy all new stuff if I came back <laughs> or, you know, die. So uh, there I went. February 12th of 2012, I landed in Kuwait, not knowing what to expect. You know, my mom freaking out, we got to take out life insurance. Like, what's what's going to happen to you? And, you know, <laughs> in my head, she's Edith Bunker. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so she is freaking out. I'm, you know, trying to keep a cool facade, but in, inside freaking out. And for the first uh, two weeks, I mean, all I can do is sit inside my apartment and wait for my credentials to come through for the base process so I can go to work. And um, I can't remember why there was an additional delay, but like after we got base privileges pretty fast, I started to go to daily mass because um, in a world where you know nobody, you don't speak the language, you have no idea what the culture or customs are, and you don't want to be offensive, you know, accidentally. Um, it's really terrifying. <laughs> so I just went to a place that I knew would feel somewhat like home, where at least I knew the language to speak, I knew the responses at Mass, I knew the customs and the culture, I knew how to not offend anyone accidentally. And you know what? For 30 minutes a day, I had forced friends. So I found myself just uh, going to mass constantly because it was the only thing that would break up my day. You know, the taking the, the bus from the place we lived out in town, 20 minutes onto base, getting through the base access process, which took 20 to 30 minutes, and then, you know, walking or taking the bus to the chapel on base. You know, I kind of made a day of it. But it was the only thing I had. Um, and so very quickly, I realized that the, the priest that we had there was just speaking fire to my soul. And he was um, just able to very briefly and succinctly make a wonderful point about the gospel or the readings, and then boom, move on. And it was just like this, this 
beautiful gift in the middle of the day. And that then, okay, move very on. beautiful. Yeah. And so I figure, you know, if this man is able to speak such a way when he preaches that he might have some holiness to him. So I uh, approached him outside of Mass and I just asked if he would consider doing, a, you know, spiritual direction with me. And he goes, yeah, come on, we'll meet every other week or so. And I said, that sounds fine. So I met with him and uh, I think it was about the second week that we met, something like that, or the second time we, we met rather. Um, he, I think at the end of it, just kind of floated the idea. He was like, well, have you ever uh, thought about the priesthood maybe? Have you ever, you ever considered, you know, something like that? And I was like, yes, of course I have. Didn't you hear the story? I, I mean, I just told him everything that I just told you. And I was like, if there doesn't sound like a more disqualified candidate for priesthood, I don't understand who is. And he was like, no, don't worry about it. You know, like... I'm sure the entire time I was talking, he was dissecting it with canon law, and he was like, oh, easy, lack of form, next. <laughs> you know, but I had no idea. So he did. He helped me get my annulment very easily through the archdiocese of the military uh, while I was over in Kuwait. So that was wonderful. And it was interesting because after he floated that idea by me, and I, I quickly dismissed it, you know, and he's like, okay, never mind, just, just a thought. For the next two weeks in between our meetings, it, there was nothing that I could think about that didn't revolve around the priesthood. Now, mind you, I had ordered my day as monastically as possible, um, you know, saying the liturgy of the hours, making sure I was doing a daily rosary, holy doing cow. a holy hour if possible per day. I would make my paramedic partners, actually they were the EMT partners, I'd be like, hey, get up, we're going to Mass today. And I'd be like, you can sit in the truck or you can sit in the back or you can participate. I don't care. I'm going to Mass, you know. And most of our EMT drivers were Filipino nationals, so most of them were Catholic. And they were like, oh, yes, Mr. Dan, we go to Mass with you. He's very nice. So We're getting canceled. Yeah, okay, getting canceled. sorry about that. <laughs> no, we do it all the time. Okay. That's the running joke. By 20, we should be canceled. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I was, I was, there's only a few things to do in the desert, and that's drink coffee, work out, and go to Mass and, and become a monk. Castles. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hot out there, though, so you don't want to actually be in the sand. So, um, yeah, I mean, I got ripped, and I got <laughs> uh, pretty holy, I think. And and I got open to the idea um, because I watched what Father Kopech did, and I saw a lot of qualities in him that I wanted or, or that I, I thought were in me. Um, and so, you know, I, I walked back into his, his office or the place we met, after the two weeks had gone by that he initially uh, floated the idea. And I looked at him, and I, I think I may have even swore at him, you know, but I was like, what in the heck did you do? Why? How? It's all I can think about now. What, what did you do? Voodoo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, you know, he laughs as like a Yoda would, but um, it just kind of, he's like, all right, man, well, now we have something to talk about because to be honest, you were getting real boring. He's like, all your American problems didn't follow you here. What are we going to talk about? And he's like, but, but we can talk about this. So we did for the next eight months. It was two weeks of, I want to do this full time. I want to be a priest. And then two weeks of, don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I mean, I was just completely in and out, in and out, vacillating one to the other. It was, Ricky Bobby, I love yeah. that. Shake and bake. Yeah, I'm, I'm nothing but a wealth of random movie He's, quotes. He is fluent in movie knowledge. quote. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, but by the end of the time, he looked at me because uh, his, you know, now talk about the providence of God. Uh, this man 
elected to extend his orders for an extra 180 days, and in doing so, perfectly aligned his stay with my stay. Um, otherwise, he would have been gone a few months in. Excuse me. Um, and so, yeah, he was actually only not there for like three or four weeks of my entire year in the desert. Um, and, and at the end of the, his time, he kind of looked at me in, in our last meeting. And he says, okay, when you get home, it's time to crap or get off the pot. You, you go, you enter seminary, or you never think about it again, but you have to be okay with whatever you choose and just, just go. And I said, all right. So um, actually, the second blessing of that entire year was that I worked at two military bases, and each of them had their own Catholic priest, which is absolutely unheard of. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a country like the size of Rhode Island, and, you know, the military bases were only 20 minutes away, and usually one guy should cover all that territory. But I had two, and if I was at Camp Arif John, the main one, I had Father Kopech and, you know, 30 people at Mass, and if I was at the Kuwaiti Naval Base, I had... Um, Father Collins, and it was usually just him and I. He was teaching me, you know, like ad orientum, Latin responses, and all this jazz that I had never oh, been exposed cow. to. And, you know, so like I'm getting a private education almost. Um, and I, in some ways, consider it like my first year of pre pre theology, you know. But anyway, Father Collins, while I was there and towards the end of my time, he got me hooked up with the Archdiocese for the military uh, for their vocations uh, retreats. And uh, they are nice enough to fly young men out who are discerning either a vocation, a vocation to the military, archdiocese, or both. And um, the, the retreat was over a three- or four-day weekend in Menlo Park, California. There's a um, Sulpician Seminary, St. Patrick's, that we were at. Um, and as I said, I had had a tradition of praying the Liturgy of the Hours in the desert, and I actually started that in college at Franciscan because of the household, the men's you know Catholic fraternity that I was a part of. And so I was very familiar with the office, and I always thought that uh, this one particular psalm, psalm, especially the wording of it, was quite ridiculous. And that, I believe it's Psalm 36, and it says, Oh Lord, do not let my enemies wink eyes at each other over me. And I thought, what a ridiculous thing to be worried about. <laughs> oh, they're winking about me. Oh. Oh. Yeah. You know, yes. like, what a first world problem. They're closing one <laughs> eyelid about me. So this ridiculous psalm that I spent way too much time thinking about, uh, I know that it comes up, you know, once every fourth week at random times when I'm not paying attention, but I... I sat down in prayer the first day of the retreat, and I said, Okay, Lord, if you want me to be a priest, let that winky-eyed psalm be in the psalmody of today, some point. And so I was praying through, I think, the office by myself before we were supposed to gather for morning prayer. And sure enough, Psalm 36 is the second psalm of the day. And mm. I read the winky-eyed mm. portion of the psalm, mm. and I slammed the book, and I threw it across the room, and I was like, I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we're really not entering this agreement, okay? Verbal only. It was verbal yeah, only. I mean, it wasn't binding. We did not shake hands. So, you know, at that point, um, it, God is not subtle with me when, you know, it's important. He was very bold in revealing himself to me the first time uh, as a, a high school child, but um, he was just very insistent, like, hey, 
if not now, when? When will you do this? And why not now? There's always been a reason, be it self-imposed or diocesan-imposed, why you, you know, it wasn't yet the right time. But if you feel like you're getting a clear sign from the Lord that this is something that you should do, okay, why not now? So I got home, uh, let's see, I got home from the desert in February of 2013. That retreat was in like March or April. And I contacted the vocations office uh, and I set up my first meeting for Holy Thursday of that year. And talked with Father Mike, and everything looked good on my end, everything looked good on his end. So I think, you know, we met once or twice more, and they offered me the application to seminary. And because of the nice paycheck in the desert, I really didn't have to worry about having a job at the time. So I made applying to seminary my full-time job, and just, you know, if they ask for a 25-page self-biography, I would sit and write from 9 to 5 and edit from 9 to 5 every day until I thought it was perfect, and then turn it in, which usually with my ADD and uh, <laughs> perfectionism would take a day or two, and, you know, and then I'd turn it in, and they're like, wait, are you, are you serious? Like, this is supposed to take you a while. I was like, no, no, what's the next thing, please? This is, what's, this is important to me. Let's go. Yeah. You know, so by... June 1st, I was holding in my hand a letter uh, from the Bishop of Richmond offering me a, a spot as a seminarian that year for the upcoming fall. And I would like to say I never looked back, but that would be indeed a lie. Um, so <laughs> I told you, if you want the long version or the short version, I got, I got both. Are you kidding me? I'm t I got notes. Right. We got notes. Yeah. We're, we're okay. going to talk. We're going to talk. All right. So, um, Golly. So I entered seminary in 2013 Where? Uh, at St. Mary's in Roland Park, uh, which is in Baltimore. And okay. it's funny because the, the military archdiocese, I mentioned it was at a Sulpician-run seminary, St. Patrick's. The seminary I went to was also a Sulpician order-run seminary. So I ended up going to that order seminary without even knowing it. A mm. um, little like, you know, prediction, prophecy there. But, um, yes, so I, I got to seminary and quickly realized I hated it. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, golly, seminary is rough. Uh, actually, you know, a lot of people are asking me recently, oh, have you seen that movie Father Stew? I say, yes, and it is the, the best description of seminary that I can imagine. Wow. Like the most realistic, oh, golly, it's, it's terrible. Every moment of it, painful, and it goes so slowly and so quickly at the same time. It's like time doesn't make sense <laughs> when you're in the seminary, especially because the building that I was in was 395,000 square feet and almost self-contained. You didn't have to leave in the winter for two weeks at a time if you didn't want to. I mean, we had everything from the, the cafeteria, the library, the classrooms, the dormitories, the, the instructor or the uh, professor's offices, you know, the bar, the gym, the hangout rooms, the everything all in one building. Wow. And it made you go stir crazy like with The Shining, you know? Cabin fever, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> So uh, it's seminary is a mixture, in my opinion, of Hogwarts, the military, and graduate school, and it's only every terrible part of each of those. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm not what I would consider a strong student nor a philosopher by choice, but by golly, I'll tell you this, 
before you can ever begin to preach theologically to someone, you must begin by defining commonly accepted terms. Because if you cannot agree on defining commonly accepted terms, you cannot have a coherent conversation, right? Like you have to agree to premises first, usually, um, to know what your foundation, your baseline is. And while I hated every single philosophical class I took, I probably use my philosophical training more in daily daily day-to-day priest ministry than I ever use Trinitarian theology, Eucharistic theology. I mean, yes, from the pulpit I will preach these things, but when you need to convince someone or at least present in a convincing way the gospel to them, you often have to start with philosophy to define even, you know, common terms and say why this might even be important, you know, like, is there absolute truth? How can we know that? What else can we know um, just by no, I don't you know, now I'm going to try and sound philosophical and end up sounding <laughs> dumb, but it's it, it just, it is, it is really, really important. And I think I undervalued that in seminary. Okay. Um, but nonetheless, I scraped my way through. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, it wasn't until my fourth year in seminary that I actually thought that I might be called to the priesthood. Um, I got very good advice when I first entered seminary after the first semester, they force you to do your yearly retreat together in pre-theology. And, uh, our, our director for the retreat was Father Kemper. I believe he was the provincial or something for the Sulpician order at the time. But he, he met with us one-on-one. And when I met with him, um, I said, you know, I don't know. This philosophy stuff's garbage. The life doesn't seem to fit me. The professors don't like me. And I'm not sure I like them. I don't know if I'm going to stick with this. And he goes, yeah, that's, that's certainly one way to do it. Um, or, or you could just go until they kick you out. Make them decide. Because either you'll graduate and they'll be like, yo, buddy, move out. Or they'll just be like, yeah, this is not the life for you. Please move out. You know, so he said, go until they kick you out. And he said, as long as you don't feel a clear sign to leave, what harm is there in staying? Just keep going. Go until they kick you out. So I, I followed that advice. And um, they did try and kick me out. <laughs> Well, they they got a little close, but, uh, you know, there were a few evaluations that said, may only return to seminary with successful summer uh, apprenticeship or whatever they call it, summertime experience, which is, you know, ironic because that's like my strong point, being with people. Yeah. Who knew, you know, (laughs) talking about (laughs) Jesus and cool things like that instead of writing papers for boring people, you know, but again... um, yeah, I hated seminary, but it was definitely necessary because not only is it a great training, I mean, if we don't understand our scriptural basis, we don't understand our Eucharistic Lord. So um, it's absolutely needed. And one of the best testaments or tests of a vocation is the time that it requires um, to really be tried. Um, anyone can hold on to hope for a year, mm-hmm. two years is even, you know, you can white knuckle it. Three years gets kind of hard. <laughs> By year four, you really got to want it. 
by year five, if you don't have something to look forward to like an ordination, you might start going crazy. And year six, by gummit, you are so close to the end, oh, might as well just finish. But mm. wow. ooh, every year is painful, painful, painful for different reasons. And it should be because you are trying to conform yourself not only to Christ, because you will act in his personhood, uh, you know, in the sacraments, but you are also trying to remove from yourself um, any of those uh, rough edges of your personality that might be a, um, a distraction or, or a, um, a roadblock between you and people. You know, Now, that doesn't mean you have to be everybody's friend, and I've found in three short years that often the more compassionate thing is to say no. <laughs> but um, True statement. Yeah. We talked about that last show. We did? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Was I here? <laughs> yes, you were. Sorry, okay. Yes, you were. <laughs> the, just, the just thing sometimes is to say no or to be truthful. Yeah, well. So, yeah, I, I did successfully make it through seminary, but it was over my pastoral year that um, really I had a, a beautiful moment at, it was either the Easter vigil or the uh, Sunday morning Easter Mass, but it was that Easter year, I believe it was uh, 2017-ish, and I was standing on the altar at Our Lady of Lords in Richmond, and that's where I was assigned, and looking out just among the parishioners, as we did, and it felt internally that the Lord was just saying the word home, your home, this is your home, and... Um, it wasn't so much that physical place, right? It was more so this sense of like, your home is to be made among the people of the Diocese of Richmond. Like, this is what I'm calling you to. And so I, I took that and just said, okay, all right, well, you seem to have called me, you seem to have want me, and well, by gum, I think I just might want you to. So, wow. <laughs> all right, wow. let's do this. And then... Let's, let's do this. Yeah, um... 2,100, no, 2,900, 2,191 days later, after my first initial holding that acceptance letter in my hand in my kitchen, I was ordained face down on the marble of the Diocese of Richmond uh, Cathedral. And um, I was assigned initially to the cluster parishes in Hampton, Virginia, uh, in Buckrow Beach of St. Joseph's, on uh, Fort Monroe, St. Mary's. And then there's a third parish in that cluster, St. Vincent's, but I wasn't assigned there. I was just assigned to the two um, under um, a good holy priest of our diocese. And um, it was a great, great first year of uh, priesthood, except, you know, we went into a global pandemic and everything oh. shut down. And my first Easter was myself, oh. the Dominican nuns that were assigned to our school parish, oh, no. uh, the pastor, oh, and our deacons. Is that Star of the Sea? Are they Star of the Sea? Yes, oh. on Fort Monroe. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, historic, yeah. absolutely wonderful. The, the, yep. Dominican nuns doing great things. It's awesome. Oh, man. yes. I've yeah. been very blessed by uh, Dominicans throughout my priesthood, and especially by them during that year. Um, I mean, because, yeah, as you remember, everything kind of stopped yes, and it did. came to a halt about February, March of that year. So, yeah. you know, I had like six or seven cool months of priesthood experience, and then it was, <laughs> stop. Um, you know, preaching to my cell phone, which was god-awful. <laughs> Uh, if I never have to do another Zoom mass oh, again, zooming. praise the Lord. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but we, we had to, you know, we yeah. got through it. But um, I did 13 months there, and then the bishop uh, asked me to be moved to my current assignment. Um, 
which is the cluster parishes of Chesapeake and Portsmouth. So now we have four parishes. And then as you know, just recently, I've been asked to move out to Charlottesville um, to start at the clusters of, I don't actually know what the name of it is, but it's Church of the Incarnation and uh, the church in Crozet, whose name eludes me right now. But uh, So three assignments in three years. Holy cow. Oh my. Well, I guess technically starting my fourth. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so... That's everything in a nutshell, I believe. <laughs> that is a beautiful story. So we should give some context, though, because we're not on video. Yeah, that's so, important. What'd you say, Carrie? Because you were back Sorry. Yeah, you're like way over there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with Andrew. That's absolutely important yeah. because I think it's misleading just to Okay, so this. when you say, when we say Father Dan, people have this image, right? So let me paint you a picture. Carrie and I are sitting out front. We're waiting for Chris to be late. And up rolls this... I'm not kidding you. This dude in a Jeep. Dude. It looks like a surfer guy. He's got long hair. He's got a beard. He's got like a dozen tattoos. He's wearing flip-flops, a tank top. And he goes, you guys are the podcast guys? And (laughs) and Carrie looks at me and he goes, that's a priest? (laughs) So that is who we are talking to right now. But he's wearing a scapular. I'm assuming he's wearing a crucifix underneath that, or is a medal. No, it's a uh, yeah, miraculous, miraculous medal. medal. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So but I'm just saying, Saint he does Philomena not look like He's got his rosary, Russian prayer rope. Oh, no, oh. it's Chotki. Oh, Chotki. Oh, wow. Okay. Well. C H O T K I means prayer rope. They nice. got very inventive with the name. Yeah, prayer rope. rope. Prayer. I'm sure, you there. There you so, go. Yeah, I got yeah bangles and dangles, and, <laughs> and he just came from CrossFit. Yes, he did. As, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, he did. Impressive. Impre- yeah. Very impressive. Walk, now, now, lest people think I'm a you know, god awful hippie in some way. No, I mean, this is no, not no. the way I look every day no. when I go to work. It's you know, in this transition time, all I'm doing is packing my rectory, my office, my everything. So I happen to have uh, been fortunate to see Father Dan as Father Dan at this year's uh, confirmation ceremony at Saint Therese. Hmm. No. Uh, that, uh, he, he escaped. I, I was supposed to hunt him down that night, and you didn't. And, and I didn't because he escaped the church without me tracking him. I was, that was on my. He had um, one job. I had one job, and I failed miserably. Um, so he does does look the part when he has to. I'll give you that. It's kind of weird. I, w- I went to Haiti with our priest, and mm-hmm. so I'm used to seeing him dressed as father. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Haiti. He showed up. He came out in a tank top. Shorts and flip flops. Yeah, and I was like, "Who are you?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were just hanging out at this. We were hanging out where you know the compound in Haiti and was, Clark Kent Superman. Yeah, it was yeah, weird. Yeah, same time. Very yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's great. Um, actually, so while I was running errands and, and doing a bunch of stuff today, just all around town, you know, the, I'm on call. I still have the emergency phone. You know, it's right up my feet here, and uh, I got a call from Maryview. Someone needed to be anointed. And so, you know, going around in my tank top and board shorts, but I keep the cassock and the collar in the back, and Ooh. it's easy to just whoop, slip that there right on, throw, you know, everything in your pockets and go anoint, and then look like you're a beach bum again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Presto change so, so, I you know, I don't, I don't go ministering to people looking like a scrub homeless person surfer bum i'm telling you though we can make a great show out of that yeah. oh that's a cool look i'm telling you right now don't tell the bishop i've always write. thought we could make a scrubs like you know the, the yeah. medical show yeah, scrubs, yeah, yeah. scrubs yeah, about yeah. seminary and priesthood oh there are hilarious stories all the time that's your man i mean that's my can, background that's his we background can do that okay so chris has a binder of notes over here that he's 
a normal person had a normal person written these, it would be a binder. But Chris writes like papers going out of style. So let's go ahead. Paper's not cheap, man. I, nothing's I, cheap today. No, nothing is cheap today. That is absolutely true. Did you guys hear that Joe Biden's going to give us a, uh, a gas tax holiday? Sorry, oh, go ahead. Great. <laughs> Excellent. So you can buy one tank of gas in that day and... Saves you 18 cents. 18 cents. Yes. All right, go ahead, Chris, with your Way to go. litany of notes. It's not a litany of notes, but just, these are, this is a, um, it's a beautiful story. Wait, so. what, what is the definition of a litany? How many, how many does it have to be to be a litany? Oh, is there a threshold for a litany? Technically, in the baptismal rite, it makes you say, like, four people. So four. So I got so more than four. Two, three, four five, I got more than four. It allows for much more, but, it, it, you know, bare minimum. So I think, like I think the threshold is four, and I've surpassed the threshold. Yeah. I do indeed have a litany of there things. There we go. To, that would be Mazel nice to talk about. Your litany. Yeah. Um, a gaggle. <laughs> Those are geese. Yes, they are. This, this is how this goes right here. Grouping we don't sheep. ever actually say anything meaningful. We just, <laughs> just, we just banter back and forth. Go with it. Go with what? I don't know. Your notes. Your gaggle litany of notes. So, first like of all, notes? I'm impressed with the, the, uh, the role of the youth minister. Mm. Um, and I wrote down next to the non-parental influence in a young Catholic's life. Mm. The statistics, if you guys are paying attention for... Which I'm not. For young Catholics in the church is not great, um, and I don't have a date for this one study I don't ordain, but it's like half, half the Catholics, I'll get the exact, exact thing here, it says uh, roughly half of Catholic teenagers lose their Catholic identity by the late 20s, um, and we know, you know, we kind of see things happening in our own parish where it's hard for teens, especially, I think, to stay true and stay strong, and you heard in Father Dan's story the important role that this youth minister played, again, a non-parental influence in the teen's life. Well, I think part of that has to go with, you said it when you were talking about the, when you were in Kuwait, when you said a brief speaking on the homily. I think I've been to a lot of Catholic churches, and for whatever reason, those homilies, they get very long, and they get very boring. To where you're like, you know, the first couple minutes, you're expecting like the one-two punch. All right, give me something to chew on. But now we're adding, you know, like footnotes and we're, you know, all this other stuff. It's just like, you know, to where. Yeah. You, you just want them to land the plane. Yeah, exactly. That's well said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's well says, said. That's says, a common critique in pilotics class. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and really, that, that's a very good point. The, the ability to boil it down to that meat. The meat and potatoes. That, 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 that one kernel that's going to kind of hit home. And while you realize that you've got a, a wide audience, there should be something that's, that hits the 80% mark, 75% mark. But I mean, so Father, listening to your story, I also, I get a sense, and maybe you yank my chain if I'm wrong here, but that, that God was always present yeah, in uh, your life. From, from an early age, I mean, my, my mom was always talking about lives of the saints, devotions, you know, Lords, Fatima, Medjugorje, all these apparitions, right. all these saints. She would read to us about Padre Pio and all these cool people and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, I grew up going daily mass with my mom on right. base, you know. And, yeah. um, it was really, it was just because like peer pressure in high school that I was like, oh yeah, God's not cool anymore, you know. And <laughs> as soon as I found love and acceptance at like the youth group, that was what hooked me to want to keep going back. And then I had uh -huh. a 
really good experience at a, a reconciliation service, you know, at that youth group. Again, same youth minister. But um, from that time on, God became very present and real to me. And I, I just kind of, it is my personality, and I wouldn't have been able to verbalize this as a high schooler, but I realize now, you know, in my mid-30s, that I am not a halfway person. I am all or nothing. Wow. And if if God was revealing himself to me that boldly, uh, then I needed to respond as bold. And there was no half measure. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, okay, well, you exist. Yeah. Then I think it's the priesthood. You know, like, it's just like, huh, you got to go zero to 100. That's it. There you go. There well, you go. I would include in that praying the office of the hours. I mean, I... I'm thoroughly confused. I don't know what page I'm supposed to be on, what color ribbon, what's happening here. Um, the fact that you make that a um, a part of your daily routine is pretty profound, and I think it... Um, so, you know, I, I kind of talk about this, this sense of God's presence, but if we don't respond through prayer, then what? I mean, so I don't think your story ever really occurs in a world where... God's speaking, leading, encouraging, and you're silent. You were an active participant. And I wonder how you grow active participants, because it's easy to just kind of be sitting back and be a screen kid or, or just kind of observing instead of actually doing the day. Is that too abstract? Am I no, I mean, too obtuse? I'm trying to remember what it was that motivated me other than... So, again, when I was in high school, the youth minister invited me to be part of the leadership of that youth group and eventually I became the president of it which meant that I had to meet with him uh, in a quasi spiritual direction um, so that he knew that I was actually doing what I committed to you know prayer prayer wise and discerning where this youth group should go you know he was very open to having the youth be the controlling force of this youth group with the Holy Spirit guiding it and adults attending to it but um, so, I mean, it was from that early form of spiritual direction that he just impressed upon me the relationship aspect of, you know, knowing the Lord. It, it's not just a pay, pray, and obey because we said to. It's, it's you fall passionately, deeply in love with the Lord, and then you are willing to do everything he asks you to because you know it's only for your human flourishing that he asks you to do it, you know? And um, so even in high school, like, the idea of this personal prayer time being very important was drilled into me. And and again, I was an all or nothing dude. I was, you know, the guy that was getting up at 4.30 in the morning to train for triathlons in high school and then going to daily mass and then oh, going to cow. school and then going to, you know, whatever he wanted to afterward. I'm a little bit crazy in that regard. I get it, I get it now. But, um, you know, it just, it from that early age of this idea of prayer, um, I think I was just open to like saturating my life with it. And definitely when I got to Franciscan, the, the youth group, I'm sorry, not the youth group, the men's group, the Catholic fraternity, the household, as we call them, that I joined was started by three guys that dropped out of the priestly discernment program. So they were like, hey, you know what's important? Let's keep the office. Let's do a holy hour every day. Um, let's call ourselves servants of the Savior. We'll riff off the Pope and, you know, the servant to the servants, and we'll, uh, we got to be involved in service. And so this is the join, uh, the group that I joined, and they have this very drastic mentality of our first 
uh, in our, our covenant, our agreement, our philosophy of, of household, you know, it says our first movement is an abandonment to prayer. We are no longer, you know, wish, wish to be silent to the mediocrity we see around us in our uh, world, society, and campus. And, you know, um, so it's, again, this idea of intense prayer being important was how I lived for mostly four years of college. And that's where I loved and learned about the office, you know, because it was part of something we as men in college got up every morning to meet in the chapel and pray the office, you know, and um, evening prayer was on our own, but it was very great informing me of, again, just that structure and rigidity of continuing to seek to sanctify your day um, through common or, or continual prayer. Hmm. And so like when I got to the desert, I mostly only fell back to like default settings of what I knew had been important or at least successful in college. So it didn't really seem like it was like, oh, that's a lot to do. It was just like, no, that, that's what, you know, it's kind of like in the gym, you're like, oh, that's what my old PR was. <laughs> I'll just use that to base my stuff on now. Right, and right. you realize quickly that it's not. But, you know, like, so again, I don't know if I'm answering your question or just getting lost in my own answer, but I think the... The notion of the Lord being close in prayer was kind of something baked into the cake uh, all the way along. Hmm. You know, but you can peel the onion back. I mean, I just wrote down. Well, I wrote down was from where, but the question is: is okay. So you've got a strong youth minister presence, mm-hmm. but where does that youth minister come from? Because frankly, my generation was poorly catechized. Yeah, so was he. Yeah, so... He was a Notre Dame grad that didn't know a aspergillium from a... I don't know, pick another liturgical A word. But, you know, like, he... You guys and your Latin terms. (laughs) Yeah. We we lost our aspergillium at uh, the uh, Easter service this, this, this year. Holy water it actually, sprinkles. It thing. actually happened, yeah. He lost it? It came off. So he oh. was, <laughs> It just launched. It launched. Yeah. yeah. A little nut and bullet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You got to check to make sure they're tight before yeah, you start yeah. flinging those in people's faces. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, that begs the question from where? You know, the state of the, the American Catholic Church isn't, what, isn't great, and it's hard to find the people who are going to step up and do that. Yeah, and honestly, he is a result of direct discipling or discipleship from a former priest who left the priesthood. So that sounds he like got one-on-one intense training by a, a wonderful man named Bob Shields who used to teach at Regent for many, many years. Um, and Bob was a priest. I'm not sure if he was a priest of the Diocese of Richmond or not, but at some point he left the priesthood and ended up getting married. Um, but he taught courses. I don't know if it was like Theology 101 or Catholicism 101, but he taught at Regent for many, many years. And he was an excellent, excellent apologist. And so he and Tom, the youth minister's name is Thomas Pizzito, um, he was, I think they met like one-on-one for lunch uh, once a month or something like that for a couple of years. And I don't know how they initially got together, but um, Bob discipled Tom in such a way that Tom fell in love with the Lord and then realized that he was being called to ministry. And then, you know, he got the job at... Church of the Ascension, my mom somehow through Catholic circles knew Tom, and when she wanted me to get involved with the faith, she sent me to Tom's youth group. It was not near our house. It was not the closest parish. We were not a member of the parish. Wow. But she knew Tom, and she knew Tom was quality people, so she sent me there and never looked back, and it was the best decision she could have made. 
Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. And that one-on-one discipleship is is key. I think that's uh, fo- you're familiar with focus, mm-hmm. and that's their their whole mantra is that one-on-one Absolutely. interaction. Um, and we could we could, again the role of the youth minister, that non-parental influence, and how important that part is. So, yeah. Big up youth ministers. <laughs> well, I mean, you gotta, you got to grow them. I mean, well, you got to... You got to budget for them. Well, there's that you got to budget for there's quality that. people, and that, in my own soapbox opinion, means you got to have someone who's full-time, degree, you know, credentialed in some way that knows what they're doing, not just someone who's well-intentioned, who thinks they're going to follow a program preset. Well, that's, that's well said. Um, yeah, and then, then the role of the parents... Right, and, and you know, you're gonna look at a, this is a Pew Research uh, study. It says uh, basically it, we know this, but kids will follow the most of the time, eighty percent of the time, according to Pew Research, yeah. they'll follow what the religion the of their is, parents, yeah. and it's better if both parents are doing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that yeah. going on, and obviously that requires the parents to have an idea of what they're doing and knowing, or at least know who does if they don't themselves. So how did your mom respond to uh, coming out of, uh, after four years as a... Stupid. As, as out of Steubenville, out, out of Francisco. As a non-Catholic. Yeah. I mean, she, she's, she's, I mean, I, I've never met your mom. I, I met you before today, so I'm surely I haven't met your mom, but I, I imagine that she put a lot of time and prayer into um, your upbringing and probably thought, oh, Steubenville. Yeah, he's flying right now. Yeah, and then he yeah. walks out of there. Exactly. I'm out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. How'd she respond? Oh, well, I mean, not well. <laughs> <laughs> it was not ideal. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I I remember at some points. I don't remember if this happened one time or multiple times, but it is burned into my memory. At some point, I showed up to a Sunday mass and. Because my mom is who she is, we had to sit in the very front row every single Sunday. (laughs) There was no exception. Liz was going to be top dead center. So, of course, I have to drag my butt, you know, barely slept, hung over, still drunk. It's a gray line, you know, up to the front, just looking like the cat spat me up. And my mom just looked at me at one point. She goes... You smell bad. Just don't come anymore if you're going to show up like this. The woman has no no care in the world about offending anyone. She's very blunt. Love that about her. Um, so, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I don't remember, you know, much more, but that yeah. was the gist of her whole feelings about my existence at that point. Hmm. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, I, I think that, again... You know the parents can be influential, so we've got two sources of, of influence: the non-parental, which mm-hmm. is which is good. You got the parental influence, um, and then you went to a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, four of my six have gone to Catholic schools, and it'll soon be five of six, um, and that's important. Yes, absolutely. But if but if you don't have a Catholic school, focus. The Newman centers mm-hmm. are getting better. I understand. Yeah. They're, they're getting much better. A so. lot of our campus ministries around the diocese are wonderful. They yeah. great campus ministers yeah. and, you know, chaplains assigned to them, and it's, it's great. So that's that's the other thing. If, if, you know, we're looking to keep the youth integrated into the faith is that they need to be encouraged to follow that into college and maintain that Catholic identity, which is not an easy thing to it do in, not, the, in, yeah. The, yeah, in today's environment. But 
you know, go back to what Father Dan said, he found, he found the acceptance and the group hug, if you would, in the youth ministry. Yeah. And then go off to school, find it there. You can find it there. And it's, it's, it's yeah, Steubenville is not magic. I mean, it is what you make of it. You know, you, they you all put are. in the effort. They all are. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's, there's no magic thing that's going to save your kid. And that's, I think, fortunately, a lot of parents like, oh, we'll just send them there. They'll get straightened out. No, no, <laughs> not really. You, you definitely, because every school has its problems. Yes. Even my my sister went to Catholic, and some of the stories that you hear from Catholic University, you're like, that's a Catholic university. She's like, no. Well, yeah. I, I won't say the institution, but two of my girls who went to a particular institution, I mean, it's got issues as well. I mean, you wouldn't think. So, like starting fires. They didn't start the fire. They didn't start the fire. They didn't Sarah start started the fire. fire. I don't care what she says. And now, now it's on digital. That's People are going to hear it. Exactly. Be like, what? Now, I, at Thomas Aquinas College out in California. What happened gone. to you? You weren't going to say the name. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I don't really care. You lied. Now you have to go to confession. <laughs> That's a good point. Something um, is priest around. There's, is there a priest in the house? Um, Do confession in the Jeep. You know, you would think a place like, like Catholic University, Thomas Aquinas, Benedictine, Belmont Abbey, those places, but they've all got issues, and you're right. It's what you make of it. Um, yeah. And you have to be, I think you, you said the word, active. You have to be active, not passive. Yeah, and, and even in saying that it. Was, I was pointing at Carrie, by the way. Okay, yeah. Thank they doesn't you. show up well on radio when yeah, I do that. that. No, they don't see that. They don't see that. But even in saying it, I realize that that's a, there's, a, there's a personal challenge in the statement, too, because that still, the, the personal formation requires it also right true so to to, to remain in in i don't know to remain in, in christ's presence really does require some sort of active response he's not he's not he's continues. not he doesn't have the big hook and pulling you i mean right, he's yeah. not taking it against your will kicking and screaming yeah i mean Although, you think about it there's a lot of i mean to my personal history there's a lot of times when you're like st there was somebody standing there through the thick and the thin to where it this is my biggest upset with Catholics. I mean, this is all respect. But once somebody kind of starts going down the deep end, they're like, I'm done. Like, you know, you'll come back when you want to come back. It's like, that's not how this works. And they go, well, you stopped going to church or you stopped, you know, you went way over there. They're like, nah, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, there's that. Hmm. I, I know a lot of Catholics who are like that. Like, yeah. you know, hey, you're, you're living in sin. And so they just write them off instead of trying to influence them in a way that guides them back. They just go... Well, when you decide to stop living in sin, you can come back. And it's like, that's not, that's not how this, this religion thing works, because they live, you know. Well, I mean, the, the, I mean, there is, in a sense, the, you know, Jesus' words to the woman is, go and sin no more. It wasn't like, hey, you're good, keep doing what you're doing. He, he challenged her, go and sin no more. Yeah, but he, it was, it's a constant, like, you know, I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it without saying that, like, Jesus is consistently there. You know, when you fall, he picks you up Correct. type deal. Correct. Like, I don't know. But, well, I mean, but, again, it's one of my biggest pet peeves, is it? Oh, here we go. I, go no, ahead. I was just saying, I'm not sure if... What? What you were getting at to, if, to know if I was clarifying. Carrie was looking at me like, hey, can you, like, make sense to of this? Yeah, I was like, out? No, 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 not really sure. Again, like, you know, kids go to... Okay, I'll just give you... I'll give you a broad example without naming any, any names, but, like... So where I went to school, there were a lot of people that were quote-unquote Catholic that came up, and then they started doing things that were very much not Catholic. And I went to school in New York City, and so you can do a lot, a lot of things. New York it. City. You can do a lot, a lot of things that aren't very much not Catholic. And instead of the people that, like, the youth ministers and stuff like that, going and reaching out to these people, 
they're like, well, when they figure themselves out, they'll come back. It's like, okay, well, by the time they figure it out, they very well might be just gone like, yeah. to where you can't help them. And they were like, well, you know, i got to worry about these people that want to be Catholic. And you're like, okay, it's a very wrong mentality. And you see that kind of in a lot of, well, I'm going to just call them older people. They're just like, they'll come to it when they come to it. You know, we'll just ignore them until they decide to come back to the church. And Well, there's a, I think there's, but there's two parties involved, right? So you can have, you can have the, in your example, the youth minister, right? But the individuals who are not interested in their faith have to be responsive as well. Right, so there's there's two parties there. We can't lay all the blame on the youth minister side because you know you can reach out as many times as you want, and that they should. Right, that's my key. But that's the individual the key. over they here should. They should, but these people over here have a responsibility to respond at some point. Right, but they should invite, 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 and whether or not people accept the invitation is entirely up to them. But you should do something to reach out and, yep. and bring those people in, which I think. And I'm just concerned. I think Protestants do a lot better than we do. They just invite the bejesus out of people. Oh, you know, I'm kind of down. Come on in. Come on. We'll, you know, we'll coach you up. We'll put our arm around you. We'll, you know, and as Catholics, we'll, you know, we kind of give people to think I when we realize that they're doing Man, something. That's been my experience. I just, yeah. I've been all over the world. It's a very, very real experience. So have I. I'm just saying, like, yeah. I'm not saying you haven't. I'm just saying, like, it's a very real experience. You've in not been all over the world, Chris. I'm in a plane doesn't count. <laughs> in an Six airplane or seven continents, baby. Dude, I'm just joking. So, um, I have a tiny dog in this fight, in the sense that I think that I think you have to be discerning as to whether or not you should be that proactive, or oh, maybe yeah. not proactive, but but consistently going after someone. So, Mike, um, the big, the big teacher at least for me was becoming a dad yeah um and 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 now that we're almost 20 something years on yeah 21 this september happy birthday um early <laughs> just by the time she early. listens to it it'll be a birthday um maybe i've had to learn to um that some of the fights really have to be not necessarily physically, but at least my mental posture has to be on my knees instead of const- doing the tugging. That's why, uh, so I don't know, I, for me, uh, so you were talking about the uh, kind of Ignatian approach to mm-hmm. things. This call to discipleship, this call to prayer, which clearly led you to vocation, mm-hmm. is... Um, is an amazing challenge, and I don't necessarily know if priests and maybe they do get it, but but standing up there becomes a challenge at least to this kid sitting in the pew, right? Um, it's it's amazing to think <laughs> it's it's such an austere, uh, not easily traveled path, and it is amazing to see someone doing it and having a full life experience in it um and so sometimes it leads me to think you know one my you know my problems are probably pretty simple yeah um i don't i don't i mean i sure don't see as many dead people right i don't i don't hear as many um issues i don't you know i'm not making you out to be some sort of saint not yet we'll wait um saint tattoo (laughs) 
but at the end of the day, it is encouraging um, for to see you guys standing up there and 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 leading this path. And it's and I realize now, I'm, I probably should have said this to Father the other night. I did not. Uh, no, but man. but he's one of we we two are, are priest is leaving. Mm-hmm. But he's an amazing liturgist. Yes, I think I agree. There's several agree. times I've asked him, "Hey, can you just email me your homily, please, mm-hmm. just so I can." read it and think about it because I am that slow. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But but thanks for being a priest. Um, and it is a challenge to us. So. Hmm. so to riff off of Andrew's point, the discussion of how we are to maybe reach out to those, and you were in that position uh, following college. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I wrote down the role of redemption. There's, there's, there's the, it's the giving part and the accepting part because... Christ offers us redemption, but he doesn't force it down our throat, so it has to be mm-hmm. accepted. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> I sound a lot better now. I couldn't figure out why it sounded so weird, and I was oh, looking at the board, figured it out. All right, so <laughs> I, I, I think that's, that's a uh, key point, um, because understanding that it's given is probably easy. Accepting it, maybe, is difficult. And I know we probably all have personal experiences where we've had to... Um, struggle with accepting the redemption and the mm-hmm. forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's not, I think that's... As a, going what you've gone through, I think you bring a unique perspective as a priest when you're dealing with people who come to you and you're like, yeah, I, under, I, under, I can understand where you are. Yeah, it, it certainly uh, makes you more willing to offer mercy, especially in the confessional, when you realize that you are nothing more than terribly broken yourself. You mm-hmm. know, like... One of the best things that the diocese offers to seminarians is counseling. You know, it was six years of counseling that I got for free. And it was amazing in helping to understand myself and helping to understand things that were, you know, character flaws or quirks or whatever. Um, But, oh, I got lost in that. Why was I talking about that even? I don't know, but I got lost with you. Okay, yes. good. Well, we're talking about the whole idea oh, of accepting being broken ex- and accepting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, after looking at yourself with a pretty fine-tooth comb, both in the formation process at seminary and also in counseling outside of seminary, you know, it's it's much easier to accept the brokenness of others when you just realize, "Oh golly. Oh golly, I need mercy." <laughs> oh, I need mercy. And the confessional is just the most beautiful place ever. I mean, it's never... If anyone's had a terrible confession, I apologize. I mean, that's not what it should be. You know, like, I I idolize the, the saying of St. John Vianney that oh. you should be a lion in the pulpit and a lamb in the confessional. Because if someone has already come back to, you know, the Lord, they're spiritually groveling on their knees to be forgiven, like... Let's not make this process harder. Let's give the mercy that the Lord talks about in his message of divine mercy, right? Like, let's just apply that as liberally as we can in the hopes that it it affects most people or the most amount of people possible um, to actually cause a conversion of heart, right? I mean, like, not that I think grace is cheap or that it doesn't mean anything. No, I just think that we should... Lather Shower. It yeah, yeah, like yeah. I always joke, you know, I I, I uh, did Pentecost Mass in my father's nursing home room recently. I will do private Masses for 
friends of mine on big special occasions for them. I will, you know, go out of my way. I was on retreat last week, but the family I was staying with, um, the wife of the family got a message that in her mom's group, one of the uh, fathers, not the husband father, but like the wife's father, had just been admitted to the hospital. And I looked at her, I go, does he need to be anointed? Let's go. You know, like, um, just, just being, oh, what's the point of having supernatural sacramental powers if you don't spoil your friends with them, right? Like, that's, that's my approach. That's a great way to put it. That's yeah. a great way to put it. There's no reason to... <laughs> To have this amazing ability if you're not like, you get a sacrament, you get a sacrament, you, everyone gets a sacrament, you know? And again, not to cheapen the sacraments, but to apply the most amount of grace possible. So, hmm. uh, so it raises a question as to how do you... Uh, that's a message I think that a lot of youth need to hear. And I think it's a, something they need to experience because I think they look at something like confession as Bad the, place. the scary monster. Yeah. Like, oh, like, they're not the only ones. I get I mean, 50, 60, 70-year-olds feel the same way. That's true, too. If I, you've I, had, I mean, I had a bad confession. Like, oh, you did? Yeah, oh, yeah. And, but, so I had a bad confession, and then I had a good confession. So early on, really bad confession to where, like, the priest wasn't prayerful and walking me through it. They just, like, stared and glared. You're like, dude, you're judging me hardcore. And then, like, you're doing all these, you're just, like, glaring. And then, God rest his soul, but Bishop Del Lorenzo, we went to a youth conference, and he was in, he was the speaker, and, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you do confession with, mm -hmm. and we so. in the big room conference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I, so I knew Bishop Del Lorenzo really well. Like, we were, I knew him for a long time really well. And so I went to confession. You do, you know, you do, like, the half-assed confession where you're like, you know, I stole a candy bar. And he's yeah. like, what else did you do? And, like, you know, you're walking yeah, through yeah. it. And then you finally, you finally it's on my I, list, I, I may have told one lie. Yeah, I may have told one. It may have been just now. <laughs> and then he kind of, we kind of went back to this better place of like, okay, this is what confession was supposed to be because you kind of worked through it and you got it out. And it wasn't like a set of judgment. It was just like, a, no, you need to get this off. You need to, yeah. you know, it was a totally different experience. But the first time, dude, hardcore judgment. I was like, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to walk out of here saying something. And the priest going to be like, you're in Catholic jail for forever. So, first, I'm sorry. Go, go, go. I was just saying, first confession was the face-to-face -face one. Oh. Not what I expected. <laughs> Con I, convert. I thought no, there was going to be a screen. I dig the screen. Like you all the movies, the screen. right? And yes, of course, I like see the through the screen. But yeah, first time, face-to-face. -face. Yeah. I'm like, is this it? They're like, yeah. yeah. You go to the confessional and you're like, I'm going to speak in a different voice now. <laughs> Hi, Father. Yeah, can you dim the lights like it's one of those <laughs> interviews where they want to hide my identity? Or, yeah, no, so... Again, a canon lawyer can dispute this with me later, but at least the way I was trained in seminary, it is up to the confessor whether or not he would like to allow the option of face-to-face. -face. Now, why do I not favor it? Well, because I don't want to associate you with any one sin that you may confess. So even if people you know, come to me face-to-face -face or it does not allow for the option of a screen or whatnot, I will purposefully keep my eyes closed the entire time even if I've, I've talked to you a, a thousand times over the last week, right? Like, right, I still right. don't want the possibility of linking you That's... with a sin. And it's so much easier to forget everything I've heard if I've just been blank and thinking. And honestly, trying to discern, like, okay, what does the Holy Spirit want to tell this person, right? Like, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the Lord wants to speak to this person. Mm. So mm. if I'm not, like 
trying to actively figure that out, then that's my fault. And there's a whole lot of times when I'll come upon an image, a word, a something, and I'm like, hey, what's this mean to you? What does this, is this a, I'm, I'm getting this psalm, this thing. You know, sometimes it, it knocks it out of the park and sometimes they're like, no. But, you know, <laughs> I got to try. I got to. That's, that's, that's a beautiful approach and I, I like that. I understand I had a good priest friend back in Montgomery and I asked him that one time because we only had the face-to-face option. Yeah. But he was a friend of mine so it was easy to do. And yeah, he was like, you know, I just, Holy Spirit just, you know, just takes it away. I mean, I don't, mm. you know, it's like, you know, you've, you heard my confession a lot, and he goes, yeah, it just, it just isn't, not a thing. So I think. And then also the entire nature or thought about sin is wrong. Um, I can't remember Ooh. if it's Father Mike Schmitz or Don Calloway or, or some other famous, you know, Robert Barron. Someone may have said this famously, and I'm just paraphrasing, but. Damn, watch go. No. <laughs> See, now you've confused me, and I don't even know what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, anymore. I hate it when I do that. It's about the grace Bishop of the Bishop Barron said something about sin. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Sin yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you have this idea, not you, the general you, have this idea that your sin is going to make you stand out. Honestly, all of the sin we hear is so god-awful, boring, and the same. It's like, you don't surprise us. You don't scandalize us. You don't really even raise an eyelash. Like, it's, okay, what else? You know, like we don't care. <laughs> like it's that, that's that's a beautiful thing to hear. I mean, that, that, yeah. I, I bet that's a Your perspective boring. that that a lot of Catholics don't hear. Uh, that raises, though, the question or brings to mind the question of what about those of us, and I will single myself out, who keep going to con- confession for the same thing? Mm. Yeah. <sighs> Don't it's, worry. It's, it's, well, it's like it's like a consistent worry, battle. So Chris, if you put yourself out there, I did. You're the only one. I am the only one. Sure. I oh, that's different yeah. for me. I, I say that absolutely <laughs> facetiously, brother. Yeah. yeah. Go to confession. I was like, hey, do we just? Can I just bring the record? Same Z. Yeah. I've got it recorded right here. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Carrie writes a list, and then when he goes about his week, he's like, I can't do that sound. I did that last week. I gotta. <laughs> I gotta go do this one. Throw in a change up this week. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. So. There's a couple of ways to think about it, and ultimately, I mean, we got to let our conscience be our guide, all right? So I think it's Augustine that says, even if you have an ill-formed conscience, follow your conscience, right? Yep. But yep. Um, so, yeah, you can either look at it as I'm not doing enough to route out this habitual sin in my life, so I need to change something, okay? That might, in fact, be true. Or it could be, eh, these are the areas that classically I have fallen victim to, so the devil knows he doesn't really have to be inventive in new ways if I have succumbed to these temptations previously, right? You're not going to attack the strengths. You're going to go where you know you can be successful. So, okay, maybe it's just that, yeah, these are, for whatever reason, the areas I struggle with consistently because that's where I'm most easily set off. Or we can go scripturally and say, well, St. Paul even asked, you know, that this thorn be removed from his side. And yes. then the Lord says, nay, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know, <laughs> I don't know why I'm King James. I mean, I tried to make it fancy. He didn't say thee. <laughs> but um, so like. Maybe. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can you can think about it in a lot of different ways. Um, I would say if there's something that you are struggling with, a certain mortal sin, a habit, a habitual sin, something that uh, seems hard to break, then I would um, approach it more with the 
the advice of Jesus. He seems like a nice guy to follow. Um, <laughs> Where he says some things cannot be, you know, conquered or cast out by prayer alone, but right. by prayer and fasting. And fasting. Yeah. yeah, and I, I preach this all during Lent to my people that, like, look, let the other religions pray. <laughs> Everyone prays. We fast, right? That's our, like, corner of the market. This is our thing. You know, everyone knows, oh, it's Ash Wednesday. Fish for you on Fridays? Oh, McDonald's fish fillets back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, that's the only thing people know of Catholic fasting. But if we understand why the church asks us to fast, it goes back to the very beginning thing I said. It's for our human flourishing. So if I encounter uh, a situation in which I am successful, well, that will lead to future success, hopefully, right? That idea of the practicing makes perfect. So what do I do? I control the chaos. I submit myself to suffering in which that I am in charge of. So I can dial it harder. I can lighten it up. I can, hey, I'm going to fast for six hours. Oh, only made it five hours. Okay. That was a little too hard. Maybe we go for four and a half next time. Be successful, right? But the idea is not so much that we deny ourselves just because Jesus doesn't want you to have a good time. We deny ourselves so that the same feelings you feel when your body is craving something and from every fiber of you telling you, you must do this or you will die. And then you simply look at your body and you say, no, I'm going to be okay. And then you don't die. Well, then you learn fortitude, right? So that you feel those exact same feelings when you are tempted, when a man, especially, right? Like we're tempted to lust or something. It, it feels like this feeling that grows from the inside of you that is insatiable in some way. And your body is telling you, if you don't do this, you will die. Well, but I know that's not true because I have submitted myself to fasting where my body reacted the same way and I was successful. Let me try to apply not only the same fortitude, but the same mentality and the same psychology and the same spirituality to both. So that when I control the chaos, I will be successful for when the chaos is brought to me in temptation. Um, so that is the idea behind fasting. The church wants, again, your human flourishing, not that you would be a slave to your flesh, but that you would be able to tell your flesh, no, we're not doing that today. And therefore, that would lead to virtue, right? And, and it all builds upon it. So if we are successful in the flesh, we will be successful in the spiritual because grace builds upon nature. There's a quick homily. Okay. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> this, is all, this is me parroting professors from seminary. Oh, okay, cool. Sounds good, Father. Yeah. <laughs> it would go up to the point where he didn't take credit. I read that on so, the back, back so there of the cereal there's box. A, there's a, yeah. this, is, this, is, this has got to be like quoted to you, but I hope I get through you Fasting, to control the chaos so that you can, you control the chaos yeah. so that you can face the chaos when it's sent to when you. When it's brought to you, brought yeah. To you. That's that's like a meme, Father Dan Dan Malachko meme. Well, I mean, that's that's the whole idea. Well, not the whole idea. I've but never heard it put that succinctly and beautifully before. Yeah, I mean, that's hmm. brilliant. Yeah, but brilliant. I mean, like, we're not the only ones thinking that, right? Like, that's uh, people out there are all telling you about the the beauty of ice baths these days, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. A lot of it is just that increased willpower True. to be like, oh, okay, mind over matter. But they lose the spiritual component. They learn this great self-control, this discipline, this can-do attitude. And yeah, by golly, you can spend five minutes in an ice bath. I'm proud of you. What are you going to do with that? Right. Yeah. What you're like, how are you going to apply that to something else meaningful? No, that's good for you. You can be cold. Um, I'm only halfway through my 
with me, by the way. What? What? So, so do you wear glasses because you write so small? Is that why you do that? No, I just wear glasses because I'm old. Okay. Just saying, I've got really good vision, and I can't even see that from this far away. Yeah. Go ahead. Says paper. So the um, story, your story, mm-hmm. the, it's kind of, I, I wrote that a combination of Jonah and David, like stiff farming. Oh, yeah. Jonah and David. Getting, oh, for sure. Getting the, getting oh, the, yeah, Janet, Jonah, I'm not going to do that, right? Forget those people. Exactly, not going to do that. Yeah, okay. You know, David, mm-hmm. uh, oh, I can't believe I just did that, you know, type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, so, and then the um, trying to fill, as Augusta said, trying to fill the hole that only mm-hmm. God can fill. How, Again, see, my sin makes me like everyone else in history. It doesn't make me individual. It makes me all the same. Exactly. Right, right, That's right. what I'm trying to say. When we, yeah. It's, and Augustine and Jonah and David. Great company, adulterers and, you know. <laughs> I, 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 that story is so compelling. And I wonder, no, I don't wonder because I've, I've been there. Maybe we've all been there. It's hard to recognize that there's a way out and that there's a um, a road to redemption. And I don't know if there's an easy way to get people who feel like there's no, like I, I, I'm, I'm, I've gone too far. Uh, I've gone too far and uh, I'm never gonna be good type thing. How do, you, how do we reach those people? Because there are a lot, I mean, I, I, and I speak in my head, I'm thinking about youth in general because I think a lot of them feel that way. Like, oh, you know, I probably, probably, I can't go to confession because father's gonna think I'm a freak, and there's probably no no way out. Um, I've done too much. I've done too too many bad things. Hmm. Uh, how do we? Is there anything we can do? I guess is probably a better way to to say that. Is there anything we can do? Besides, make force them to listen to Father Dan's story. I think just um, the offering, like an invitation, is very important. So, if you know the person has been, uh, you know, baptized and raised Catholic and has fallen away from the faith, just the invitation to say, like, "Hey, why don't you come to church with me?" You know, that's very important. Um, we had a guy come to, and come into the church recently. He's got terminal cancer, um, and he converted and went from unbaptized to fully Catholic uh, over the last couple of months because, I mean, I privately worked with him and prepared him and, you know, with my pastor's permission to do this because of his diagnosis and whatnot. But, you know, he's in his 80s, and it was because his neighbor had me come over to do a house blessing. And while I was there, he said, hey, let's go, go talk to my neighbor real quick. He's, you know, he's a sick old man, but uh, let's just go talk to him. And it was an encounter that I had with him on the porch. You know, I prayed for him. Wow. I prayed over him. I just asked the Lord heal the cancer if he wanted to. He didn't, by the way. But, you know, like that was so powerful to that man that he wanted to become Catholic before he died. That's a beautiful story. So... You know, it, it, it all starts with an invitation. So, um, and I say this especially like if the person, like I said, has been uh, baptized and raised Catholic, it's, it's much easier to start from that common foundation. But if not, I mean, still the simple invitation, you know, um, Jesus often just said, come and follow me, 
right? Like, just come and see. So we should extend the same thing. We don't have to worry that the homily's gonna be good, that the music's not gonna be terrible, that the, you know, everything's gonna be perfect. All we have to do is invite people and let the Lord figure it out. You know, like, I, so many times I'm just like, yeah, I have no idea. Let's just see what Jesus does. No. <laughs> God, I really hope you show up. <laughs> Most of the time it happens when I have no idea what to preach on. I'm like, all right, Lord, let's see what happens. What a, what a, what, oh, well, yeah. That's good advice. I mean, that's simple advice, though. Just offer. Just throw the offer out there. And yeah. I think it takes a certain bit of character and boldness on our part just to make the offer. Oh, it should really but, speak to the evangelization of the churches. You know, and it's funny because the word evangelization, I think, scares people. But if you just say, just just offer, yeah. just ask. Hey, well, yeah. you, you want to come to Mass? Evangelization is often proselytization, or however you say that word, yes. right? They imagine you're on a soapbox, Bible-thumping, telling people they're going to hell for their sins yeah, yeah, and yeah. that there's no yeah. redemption. Yeah. yeah, No one likes that. That makes me uncomfortable. I hate it when I go down to the oceanfront <laughs> and there's those dudes doing it. I'm like, oh, cringe. Uh, yeah, no one, no one wants that. The power that. of Christ well, comes. And, I mean... Forgive me if I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't read the Bible too closely, but I, I don't believe that was really the style of Jesus either. You know, like right. he met with people, he ate with them, he encountered them, he never left them where they were, but he met them where they were. And yeah, I think that's, I think if I could, I think I'll take that and shove that away and instead of evangelization, just, just make an offer, just ask somebody. That's all you have to do. Don't, if they want to talk and you want to offer explanation later, fine, but. Yeah, it's just asking, come and come and see, essentially. But again, yeah, I hadn't heard that until you just said that. Well, there's no you know disgrace in not having the answer either. True. People think they have to be an expert. True. I've been to six years of training, and I'm still the dumbest guy in the room when it comes to theology. Like I I barely know how to speak. Well, that's my role. You can't take that. Okay, well, <laughs> you got one thing going for me. In, in most rooms, I am the most ill-informed. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to clergy. Oh my golly! I just met Bishop Scott McHugh from the Archdiocese of Military Services of Canada. What a holy man! If you want to imagine just holy Saint God. Nicholas mixed with Paul Bunyan, that is this man. <laughs> And yet knowledgeable, I mean, he's he's part of the order of uh, the Companions of the Cross, and they're this order that I only encounter on retreat every year. They're from Canada, and man, they have some powerful the bishops. Of they the have, Cross, don't you know? Yeah, they yeah. are. Hey. Oh, yeah. golly, holy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Bishop Scott McHugh, and uh, their other one is uh, Bishop Christian Reisbeck, I believe. They've both spoken... Um, in different years at the priest deacons and seminarians conference that I go to in Steubenville. And it is amazing, man. Wow. Wow. Um, Carrie, I think cause I'm going to keep going. No, I no, got no. notes. I'm, I do notes? have notes, but you, you kind of, you're hitting on some stuff. So I'll, I'll let you work off my There's list. Le left turn on, on this one though. And it's, it's something that you talked about when you talked about the growing love of philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's a shame that we've separated philosophy and the rest of education. Philosophy and theology, we've taken and separated those because much like the, you just talked about, so you can do an ice bath for five minutes, what's at the end? Yeah. I mean, that philosophy and theology drove the other disciplines to an end. Yeah, logic right? and reason. Well, and, the discovery yeah. of God's creation. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't, Biology is for biology's sake. It was 
biology to understand God's creation. Uh, we've moved away from that. Um, and you, you do not hear, except in certain liberal arts universities and colleges, the role of philosophy being touted and promoted. Uh, and, and I just wonder if, if, based on your experience, Father, if you think that's something that we would all benefit from if that was more integrated into our curriculums to say, hey, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of people, if you say, you know, classical education, they immediately think of like stodgy and, and hoity-tidy and they, they just an erudite air about, and it just seems like something not appealing to anyone, you know, but like, as I said, if we don't have commonly defined terms such as objective truth, then you can't have a coherent conversation because you're not even speaking in the same realities. So I thought everything was relative. Though. Exactly. Live your truth. <laughs> so, you know. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, I, mean, I hear you. Absolutely. Well, so, so that is the underpinning then of, of both education and society is the idea of understanding the truth. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, again, I, I didn't take... I don't think I took any philosophy class. The only time I did philosophy was when I started my master's in theology. Mm. And it was, it was, you know, fire hose and not having ever delved in that world before. Like, holy cow. I mean, I never had to be so precise in what I was saying. Yeah, it was, words matter. It, word, exactly, <laughs> words matter. Um, but I realized very early on the, the importance of that role, but also the underpinning, whether you recognize or not, that philosophy has had on society from the get-go. If you don't understand that, then I think you're lost. And I just, you, you saying that brought that to mind. And again, mm. philosophy is important. It really yeah. is. Well, I mean, I, as far as my understanding is that it started, you know, man's search for meaning, understanding himself in relation to the world, other people, the cosmos, and, and what can we learn just by looking at nature. And I mean, so much of our, our tradition in the church is built off of that natural law. Like I said, you know, grace builds upon nature, but um, we can learn a whole lot about ourselves and the world we live in from natural law. But natural law doesn't bring us to a savior. So that's where philosophy is deficient in that it, it won't explain, you know, why you're living it just kind of explains, okay, well, that you live and there are phenomena and there's an interaction, you know, like, yeah. but it won't get you to the end, your, your purpose for being, your telos. It, it won't tell you that there is something greater, higher, better, um, other than just abstract thought. So, which is the role of theology then at that right, point? Right, exactly. Okay. That's where the, it picks up and takes you to the final. So, you got the theology and philosophy married at the hip for most of history until the Enlightenment, essentially, where they're divorced set aside and hmm. you know realism sets in like no kidding this is real because I can real. touch it yeah. yeah so that kind of thing for real real for real real that's for real real father what do you I mean so how far down um, how far down the pike do you get to look as a priest I, what I'm I'm trying to ask and I'm failing to do so is is um, are you kind of content where you well you're making a move here pretty soon, but you content here in Richmond's diocese and and um, kind of happy with what you're doing? After, yeah. I mean, because you, you know, we sat here in silence. That was a rocky road, mm. the kind of path that you took. 
Yeah, and I mean, it still has ups and downs, you know? I mean, saying or thinking in any way that the story is over yeah. would be premature, that's obviously, right? Like, so that's just what has happened up until now, mm-hmm. you know? And, and we could have dissected the first three years of priesthood even further, but um, yeah, I mean, I love what I do. There is um, just something so... If you If you tried to explain to someone my job, it sounds absolutely and utterly ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, just, okay, so imagine everything on the cellular level and now everything in the cosmic level and everything in between that has ever been created and we say that there's a God that controls all of those things and that God wants to know me personally enough for me to love that God, know that God, serve that God, and be the God in this life and happy with him in the next? I thought more catechism. That's ridiculous on his head, first of all. Like, that notion, how egotistical of me to think. (laughs) And again, and to further think that this God, who I've just given his credentials of cosmic universal power, is calling me as broken and flawed as we have clearly already laid out that I am, and that is not an extensive list by any means. He is calling me to not only minister in his name and in his person to other people, but he is calling me to offer to himself, himself. And then he gives me sacramental, supernatural powers. Again, these hands that have been consecrated on a man who is so broken and then allow me to participate at the mystery of what we truly say is happening, a a wedding of heaven and earth here in front of our eyes, the culmination of the Last Supper and the cross, everything in existence at my fingertips. And I also have to run a parish and I have to budget, balance a budget. And I also, you know, like, this is the most ridiculous job ever. Uh, wow. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go. I'm, no, I got nothing. You got, I got, uh, um, uh, I don't even know where to... Sorry, I didn't even answer your question. Yes, and all of that, I love it, okay? Like, I, I do love it. I mean, my favorite, my favorite... I got so in, involved in my own answer, I... Sorry. My favorite part of being a priest is uh, any time that I can be a minister of grace. So, the confessional is my favorite. The anointing of the sick is very powerful. I mean, imagining that it is in my control to not only forgive sins in the name of Jesus, but to also, through the um, beautiful gift that the Pope has given us some years back, um, the gift to impart the apostolic pardon on those who need it, um, to basically bring someone's soul back to the state on the day that they were baptized, right? So imagining that, okay, well, if I've just taken away this person's sins and I've just removed all temporal punishment associated with any time in purgatory they should spend, and they're in a coma, unable to sin again Ooh. before they die. Oh, boom. That's pretty cool, right? One-way ticket. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not going to presume on the Lord, but yeah, it does seem like a good probability that maybe they're in a better place. You know? Um, yeah, 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 and so, yeah. like, it, it, these, these moments wow. where you get to um, be in people's lives and... Oh, man. I mean, that, the sacrament of confession is so powerful because... It's never when you expect it, and then you just get walloped with something you've never heard or someone that is so just in need of the Lord's love 
and you're like, holy crap, I'm able to be here for this person. And, and, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I love what I do. Are there downsides to the job? Absolutely. Everyone has them. Are there personalities that are rough? Absolutely. Could I imagine doing anything successfully uh, else? Uh, Probably, but not as happily. Beautiful answer. I like to hit on youth more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand that you're very influential with the youth. Um, I, I have some inside information that you've. Oh, you were at the youth's retreat this year, weren't you? The uh, diocesan. No, I was talking about he's at the school. Oh, he's which school? The school. Uh, Sorry. Or, How about or, I shut up and let you talk? No, no, no. Maybe he was. I don't know if he was at the the diocesan youth. Council. Didn't He's, a particular DYC? young man come into your house and say, "Hey, oh yeah, well Josh talked to him. Yeah, my son, yeah. my son talked to you. Okay, about the podcast very early on. Yes, yes, yes. he did. Yes, 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 yes. And he thought he was crazy. <laughs> was like, where what? was that? Do you not remember? I think it was in Richmond. Wasn't what? it at the DYC? Yeah, the DYC. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Youth conference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there yeah, was yeah. that. Yeah, okay. there was that. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also talking though about his work with the youth school, um, and Father Dan, for understand, has done a great job of. Um, practical. I don't want to say catechesis, but just hey, this is this is this is kind of how you do this, and that's a, a beautiful thing from what I understand. <laughs> uh, especially teaching the kids Latin, right? <laughs> Come on, what? I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah, I look like a homeless person, and I'm a trotty at heart. I mean, well, it's <laughs> and then people are gonna align me into some camp now. But like I, I like I said, I was I was born and raised in the Russian Orthodox Church with the smells and bells and the yep. iconostas and all these beautiful traditions of liturgy and that's what informs my idea of proper worship to the Lord. And so, you know, I bring everything ancient that I can into the liturgy and any seminarian you talk to is gonna have the right opinion. <laughs> about the liturgy, right? Of which they have never performed, but um, <laughs> you know, I I only do what I think is faithful to what the church is asking me to do. Now, in my role as chaplain to uh, Portsmouth Catholic Regional School for the last two years, I was very fortunate in that my principal supported so much of what I did, and if I said it was a good idea, he would just say, "Okay, I believe you." Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's just beautiful. Um, not because he gave me unlimited power, I'm just saying. But no, like, I mean, like, you know, it really was nice to have that support that's not always present. Yeah. Um, and so the first year, we we just taught the kids all the different parts of the Mass. I went through, you know, a six-week series on, like, breaking down every little thing about what we do, why we do, where it came from, and where in the Old Testament it is. How does Jesus change reform or make it better in the New Testament? Why do we still do it here in the Mass? What shows us, informs us, and what have we always believed, prayed, and, and done? Yeah. You know, so we did that the first year, and then... I would benefit from that. <laughs> yeah, would be, we would all benefit from that. I'd be with you. Yeah, yeah I mean, it is it's fun if you ever need a quick homily you can always just dissect like the eucharistic prayers or you know and they're so full of just beauty you can just spend you know five to eight minutes talking on that and be like everyone have any questions no okay good you know um well, that's okay. like the third or fourth purpose. You're like, oh, that's the one I, whenever I set the, whenever I set the book, I look at the order. I'm like, you can pick this one or this one. This one's shorter. I'm going with this one. Yeah. Um, you uh, hit on something. 
I don't mean to cut you off there. But I don't remember where I was going anymore. We do that. Oh, no, no. So I was just going to say, I this year I decided uh, with the principal that I would at least expose the children to the ancient and the the tradition, the common language of the church so that, I mean, you know, when I went to uh, Easter Mass in Kuwait at the cathedral, I didn't speak the language that they were speaking, but I knew the Mass well enough to participate and know when the priest was inviting us to say the Our Father so I could follow along. When he right. says and motions, the Lord be with you, I can how, respond and know. How was it hearing that in Arabic? Well, actually, that Mass was in like Hindi or something. Oh, or some, really? some, oh, okay. um, it was either Pakistani or Indian or we had a lot of foreign nationals. Okay, um, gotcha, gotcha, in that, gotcha. So they were either Filipino or like Pakistani yeah, or I remember something like that. The first time I heard the Our Father in Arabic, yeah. it's like, what's going on here? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, yeah. it's beautiful but it's, it does little mental juxtaposition going on. Like, yeah. it's not what I'm used to hearing. Yeah. That ain't no. Spanish. That ain't no. Spanish. But I mean, so there is this universal beauty of the church and especially of Latin only because, as I said before, with talking about philosophy, words are important and you are able to be, at least in my understanding, which is terrible of Latin. I don't speak it, read it, or understand it. But I know that you can be so precise, precise in its meaning. And that's why the church has preserved it, not because it is a live language, but in fact, because it is dead and it won't change, and the meaning of the words do not morph over time as common parlance does, Good right? Point. Good so point. there is, again, that common definition of terms, so you can at least have a foundation of which you can talk on. Right. So, I mean, I, my, my idea was just to expose the children to the, the traditional Latin mass responses because they will encounter a Novus Ordo mass everywhere they go. Yeah. And as someone pointed out to me recently, a deacon friend of mine, he goes, isn't it funny that we call the Tridentine mass in the, English and we call yeah. the new mass the Novus Ordo in Latin? Yes. Like, what sense does this make? Yes, <laughs> well said. It's exactly right. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Um, you point out then, can we go into this, the, the, the role of... I call it as well, smells and bells, in the mass, the mm -hmm. sensory participation, because we are sensual beings, mm -hmm. in the mass. That's why we have sacral bells, we should, you know, stained glass windows, icons, incense. incense all that is meant to drive us Candles. towards that relationship with, with he who has created us and he who has redeemed us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a lot of times sorely missing. I mean, we're, we're blessed here at St. Mary the Presentation to have a gorgeous sanctuary mm. that does nothing but help you participate, actively participate, which means mentally be there, not actually getting up and doing something, actively participate in the Mass. And, and you just highlighted how important all that is. Um, I, I would love to see a resurgence of that. And, I mean, I would love to see the Novus Ordo, there it is again, <clears throat> done the way that Vatican II actually prescribed it, you know, and, and, and sounds like kind of the way you're doing it, Portsmouth Catholic. Yeah, and, and let's be clear, I have no training in liturgy other than the one semester class in, in seminary, you know, so like, I'm not claiming to be a, an expert in anything. Again, as I said, I'm just trying to do and be faithful to what I believe the church asks yeah. of us yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's so much of that beauty that gets lost when you try and modernize it, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah. it's not something that is modern. It is in fact 
ancient and it's supposed to be ancient and it doesn't need to be updated. I mean, I absolutely agree that it should be understandable and you should be able to participate with it. Absolutely. But, you know, without getting into too much hot water, we had to take a class in seminary that was, um, it's called prayer and priesthood, and it opened you up to various rites of the Catholic Church that maybe you're not familiar with. We went to a charismatic prayer service. We went to the Latin Mass. We went to Byzantine Mass. We went to, you know, just a whole smattering of things. And one of the ones we went to was the Baltimore Ordinariate, which is, as far as I understand it, a Catholic church that was an Episcopal church in which they all at one con one time converted as a church. So they have special dispensation from Rome to celebrate the Episcopal Catholic rite, which, again, the one time we were there, this is not you know an extensive study or research, but the one time we were there, it looked like a traditional Latin mass, fiddleback, high altar, everything, but done in the common tongue wow. so that people could understand it. And I thought to myself... Wow. By golly, they might be onto something. That's <laughs> so, oh, wow. You know, because, yeah. again, to preserve that sense of ancient, but also make it interactive. Do you think that preserving the ancient, as you say, which I think is a good, another good, rather demological catchphrase, you need to meme that. Um, preserving the ancient is a draw to youth? Um. I think it only enhances maybe what the Lord is already doing. If someone is only drawn to the smells and bells, they're missing the point, right? St. Paul says, if I do not have love, I'm nothing more than a resounding gong or a noisy cymbal. So if you're only there for the bells, you're missing the point. If you're only there because uh, this just seems better, well, you're kind of a jerk. You know, like, okay, so <laughs> if you have a deep, abiding love for the Lord and you wish to worship him, then, you know, yeah, it's going to enhance that, but it won't provide you a relationship or a love for Jesus on its own. So right. it can't be everything, but it can certainly enhance what is already a good foundation. Interesting. My, my take is that the youth, and I'm talking about, I guess, the teenage youth, they don't want the coffee shop they can get the coffee shop down yeah. the street. They, my sense is they want to come into something that's different. And if it's not going to be different, then why would they waste their time? Yeah, well, because we certainly can't keep up with, you know, like a mega church yeah. model. Yeah. Like we're not going to be as entertaining. We are not going to have the sound quality, the production quality, the anything. Like, and, and we shouldn't because we don't want to be. Right? Again, we're not trying to show how we are all the same. We're trying to show how we are uniquely and distinctly different because that means we are offering something that no one else has to offer. Otherwise, why should they even care to choose us? That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like it. yeah absolutely. Carrie, you got anything? No, uh, except to say thank you, Father, because I'm... I'm um, I feel like uh, I've, I'm sitting here with a baseball mitt and I'm trying to catch as many of the, the balls that are thrown out. Uh, but surely I've missed a couple. Um, yeah, I, I would say again. I would say that uh, well worth the wait for the <laughs> two, three months that we had to, to wait for it. Um, I, I, 
you have presented a lot of things about the faith in a way that is different than maybe I've heard before, um, in a way that's, and I use the word simple, um, in contrast to complex, uh, too complex sometimes, um, which I think the simple is probably a more direct way to the heart, the complex is a more direct way to the head. Uh, I've heard it said that the fastest route to hell is the 12 inches between the head and the heart. Mm. Um, and it's, it's uh, refreshing. It's refreshing for me to hear these things put in a different way where I can go, oh, that's the way I can, I can access that. That's my takeaway. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any closing words from you, Father? You know, it's funny. When you do a funeral or a wedding or something, people who are not Catholic will often come up to you and just say, oh, that was, that was the most beautiful service. Thank you. That was so nice. And I will always respond the exact same way. Well, you're welcome. But all I did was read what the church prescribes for me, right? So uh, you, you say I have a unique perspective or at least a presentation, and I'm literally just paraphrasing and parroting saints, theologians, yeah. professors, youth ministers, mm. mentors, fellow priests. I mean... I've, I've been fortunate enough to know a lot of smart people and have somewhat of a really good memory for remembering what they say. So <laughs> I'm not giving you anything other than what the church has always taught, hopefully. And if I'm a heretic, well, forgive me. I don't think that's the case. I think, I think the yeah. way you present it is yeah, I'd agree with that. beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you very much for giving us your valuable time uh, tonight. It's, it's uh, like I said, well worth the wait. Yeah, well worth the wait. My yeah. pleasure. All right, that's 20 in the books. 20 in the books. As far as we know, we're not canceled, right? Well, thanks for sticking with us. We'll wait and see how many people think think about this episode. We'll see how it goes. Maybe Father Dan may push it to the edge. I don't know. I said a lot of terrible things. (laughs) (laughs) You don't tell anybody. No, no. Just between us. Just between between us. us. Exactly. All right, 20 in the books. 20 in the books. Thanks for listening, man. Thank you. Cheers. Well, that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed listening to us weave our way through all of today's topics. If you have something to say, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a line at comments at theupsetpicks.com or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook and check out our daily Chasing the Dog video on our YouTube channel where we will give out our top dog play of the day. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up and hit subscribe. Also, visit our website, theupsetpicks.com, all one word. We have packages for every level of interest. From Carrie, Andrew, Chris, and the entire Upset Picks team. Thank you for listening to us. Go all over the place. Be blessed. Be smart. And be bold. And make sure to join us next week for some more wit, whiskey, and wisdom.